All right, gang. I am super excited to start things off here today because we have a brand new sponsor. It is Top Lobster. And if you don't know Top Lobster, well, you are missing out because this guy produces some of the, if not the, no, I'm going to say it, the coolest gear. I wanted to give a, a tip of the hat to to our own store, but let's be honest. He's got the coolest Liberty gear out there. I'm wearing some right now. I got this legalized freedom hat for our, our video well, viewers at home. I also got the Scott Horton and the Wars shirt, which is freaking awesome. And there is so much more that you can find over at toplopsa.com. Guys, this is a brand new sponsor. If you are a fan of the show, a supporter of the show, one of the best ways you can help us out is to support our sponsor. So I want you to go head over to toplobsta.com. That is T-O-P-L-O-B-S-T-A.com and just take a browse. You don't need to take my word for it. Just go check out that gear and I guarantee you're going to find something or probably like 10 things that you like. So he's got the coolest Liberty gear out there. Uh, we got the Reed Mises Not Mark shirt. We got some Scott Horton gear. We got Tom Woods gear. We got all sorts of awesome gear. He also does the designs for today's guest, Joshua Smith. Uh, so you may be familiar with a lot of his artwork that he does for Break the Cycle, but uh, he is a great guy producing awesome, awesome, awesome Liberty gear. I literally got a compliment on this legalized freedom hat from the Deli Counter guy today. So this is a, a great way to uh, start conversations, to get people interested in these shirts. I actually had a couple people as well out at the bar last week we compliment me on the shirt. Uh, they probably don't know who Scott Horton is, but they like the end of the wars message. So you really never know who you're going to connect with. And that's out here in Los Angeles. So please do me a favor, head over to toplobsa.com, pick out a shirt or two, and you're going to want to use our discount code. That is ROAR, discount code ROAR, R-O-A-R. Head over to toplobsa.com, use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order. We need to empower people. With not just the philosophical tool, but the inspiration to break free of the system. Welcome to the Flagship Alliance of Liberty Podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real world application from the top minds in the liberty movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. All right, Kitty Cats, with me today, he is a two-time nominee for the Libertarian Party National Chairmanship. You may know him from that, or you may know him from his new awesome show, in which I was a recent guest on called Break the Cycle. He is Joshua Smith. Josh, are you ready to roar? Oh, you know it, buddy. You know it. Roar, roar. XD, XD. I had an idea. I had an idea you would be. Uh, Josh, it's been, uh, well, it hasn't been that long for you and me because I was just on your show again, Break the Cycle, uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, on that episode, we got into a lot of personal stuff in my life. Uh, so if you want to hear more about that, you're not going to hear it right now. You're going to go over to, to Break the Cycle and listen to, I believe it was episode 30. Listen to slash watch because there are YouTube versions of all your shows just like there are of ours now. Uh, sure. but Josh, we're going to, we're going to flip the script a little bit today. You got personal with me uh, on your show. So I'm going to get personal with you today on our sure. show. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Uh, so I, I wanted to start off, though, um, kind of you you were on the show a few years ago, uh, but, you know, we have a lot more listeners uh, since then. You're a lot more known since then. Not everybody may have heard the story of how you kind of first got into these ideas and got into the ideas of liberty. So maybe you can give us a sort of the abridged version of that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I'll try not to drone on for 20 minutes about it. But I, I uh, you know, I joined the military right after 9-11. That was uh you know, me going to protect my country from the big bad terrorists that I thought were, uh, you know, 
Pakistani via or Saudi Arabian nationals via Pakistan or whatever. I didn't know. I had no idea. That's just what I thought at the time. Um, and so uh, I joined the military. I was uh, stationed on the USS Constellation. Um, we were the basically the biggest battle group uh, that was part of shock and awe uh, in Iraq. And for me, it was kind of weird because, I, you know, I, I'm, you know, an 18 year old kid uh, going, what the fuck are we doing in Iraq? You know what I mean? That's all I could think about is like, why are we even here? What's going on? You know, we're being sold this line of bullshit about weapons of mass destruction. Everybody who's in knows that's not happening. Um, and so uh, when I got out, I was really, really jaded. And, and around 2005, I was kind of, you know, for me, it was it was it felt like the Republican Party was leaving me, obviously. Um, and uh, I definitely didn't have a home in the Democrats. They weren't anti-war, which was news to me. I had always thought that the the Democrats and the left were anti-war until I understood that the Democrats were a big part of pushing for more wars in the, in the Middle East. Um, and so I kind of just floated around, not really knowing where I belonged. I was still a registered Republican. And in 2007, I found Ron Paul. Um, and, uh, I, I attached the Ron Paul campaign really hard and, and I actually worked for the Ron Paul campaign in 2008. Um, and that's where I really started learning about the ideas of Liberty. And, and it, it, it went to being more than just about being anti-war for me. I mean, it's still my number one thing. I'm always going to be a huge anti-war advocate. I think war is an absolute waste of spending of innocent human lives of all that shit. Um, and so, but then I started learning about the federal reserve a lot. Uh, which really kind of just, it's a window you can't close. Um, but then it, it also helped me segue into reading Murray Rothbard and, uh, and F.A. Hayek. And uh, I mean, I even read, read some of the Cato guys like David Bowes. And um, it really just started changing my perspective. And uh, in two, after, after watching what the GOP did to Ron Paul, uh, I, the, the GOP had officially left me. Um, they were done. I was done with them. And so um uh, uh, in 2012, I didn't really participate other than writing in Ron Paul. Um, and then uh, I you know, got really interested in the political aspect again in 2016 when I saw you know, this kind of clown show going on with Donald Trump and, and uh, Hillary. And I'm going, holy shit, what have, we, what have we come to? I mean, I thought George Bush was bad. I thought Obama was bad. And now we're, we're talking about getting Hillary Clinton or the apprentice guy as the president. Okay. Um, so I, uh, I joined the Libertarian Party in 2016 and I and, uh, started working uh, for the Washington State Party then. That's when when you and I met was around 2017 when I was running for chair the first time. But yeah, um, I got we can get into the story of uh, Josh and I's first meeting again. I'll just send you over because we just talked about this last time over on Break the Cycle episode 30. We get into the full crazy story of how we actually first met in person in New Orleans at random randomly yeah which is kind of cool but so uh so yeah i worked i worked on the gary johnson bill weld campaign unfortunately i didn't know much about bill weld at the time i do now i regret working for bill weld i would have not done that had i known uh bill weld was this uh basically moderate republican neocon that uh worked for Raytheon, or was a raytheon lobbyist and all this shit but anyway so um so I, I i worked on the campaign and then i you know i found out about the, the actual national party and nick sarwark and i started watching nick sarwark and at first i was like wow this guy's really fucking cool you know like he's he's really like edgy and, and and then i realized he's kind of a dick and um started he started going after people like tom woods and eric july and and uh, uh dave smith and all these wonderful people wonderful people who are way more influential than he will ever be um and so i decided that uh i was gonna run for chairman of the national libertarian party you know just a little old west coast maintenance guy uh and i did really well you know i didn't i didn't do well in the numbers i got 22 percent of the vote in 2018 but i did good enough to travel to 26 states i got to keynote a, a ballroom behind ron paul in omaha nebraska 
Um, I got to do a lot of really cool things that, you know, normies just don't do. Uh, and so then I ran again in 2020 and I got really close to winning. Um, in fact, there's some dispute over whether or not the numbers were correct. Uh, but you know, they kind of screwed us over with COVID and using. Is the, there is there a dispute? Because I, I actually yeah. wasn't at the that that vote actually is the one that took place at the in person convention. Correct. Yeah. So yep. Yep. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Because I didn't end up being able to make it, so I don't yeah, really we, know exactly what's going on. Uh, I mean, the, the, so the, the here's the here's the the skinny of what I know at least. Um, there's other people that might have more information on it. I know there's a couple other board members that were very very skeptical of the counts. Um, so what had happened was all the votes that had taken place over the two days prior to this vote um, for chairman of the national party were coming in around 650 to 700 vote totals. Um, and as you know, half the convention was in person, half the convention was online. What a shit show that online convention It was, was. a shit show. Um, but, but even in the in-person convention, half of the people were still online over a loudspeaker. Okay. Um, through a zoom meeting. And, uh, and so we did the debate the night before, and it was very clear that I had the room. I mean, very, nobody can deny that I had the room. The in-person delegates were mine. Um, it, it wasn't even close. I mean, it, you know, uh, Joe Bishop Hinchman probably had maybe a quarter of the room. It wasn't even close. People were chanting, break the cycle, like as loud as they could. I mean, it was nuts. It felt like, you know, so all the votes were for every motion prior to this, to this election. Um, them counting this up was about 650 to 700 votes somewhere in there. Chair election happens, vote totals over 900. And people start losing their shit going, what the fuck is going on here? You know? And I, at this point, I'm just so drained. I was like, I don't even have the like energy to fight anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, but people start running up to the mic uh, and, and questioning credentials and credentials um, uh, committee chair came up on stage and was basically like, sorry, there's nothing we're going to do right now. You guys will have were to Were those wait. like extra votes that were all in person or did that include some kind of like online voting? Who knows? We don't know. It was a secret balloting. Mm. So they didn't, it wasn't even broken down um, by, by state or anything like that? No, it, it was broken down by state, right? And they show it real quick on this on the screen and then it goes away and that's you know that's that it's over they you know joe bishop instruments can you know consider the new chair i got 40 something percent of the vote i mean it was close we were within 100 votes so the added votes that happened on that particular election could have been completely could have completely changed the outcome of the of the of the vote totals and who the winner was so it was kind of i mean yeah it was very strange and people were questioning it and they weren't giving us any answers and then the next after the vice chair, because um, after the vice chair election was the secretary election. And me and Karen Ann Harlos are both known to be very radical on this board. We, you know, we, me and Karen Ann usually vote together uh, as part of a radical voting block of people on all the stuff that happens in the party. And there's a, you know, a pragmatist element that does not want the pink haired lady on stage anymore. Okay. And so, because Lord, Lord knows that's why people are, are turned off by libertarians, right? Because right. they, because they know who our secretary is first of all, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So many people know who the Libertarian Party secretary is, and Karen's great. She's one of my best friends on the on the board. I've loved Karen and since I started with this party, um, she's amazing. And so her vote totals come out even a couple higher than mine, but she wins. I mean, convincingly. And Nick Sarwark goes flying up to a microphone to start questioning the vote. Almost like they tried to railroad her too, but it didn't work. 
You know what I mean? And he was freaking out. And you see Evan, who is the other candidate for for secretary, goes running over to Nick and they start whispering. And he goes, no, 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 you got to stop. And he runs up and congratulates Karen Ann and, and concedes immediately. Hmm. It's like, what is going on here? Right. And so I come to find out later that a lot of people are, you know, even a couple of the board members are very, very skeptical of the chair election and some of the other elections as well, um, because there was this element that wasn't there. They were phantom. You know what I mean? They weren't they were online. They were all run and controlled by the executive uh, director at the time, Dan Fishman, who's in cahoots with Nick Sarwark and all these people. We find out later that he's done all this crazy shit during this election to try and push the election or the uh, the convention to be offline or online, the whole thing. And he's working against the interests of what the party members want and the board has voted on, which is not correct. You don't do that. The executive director works for us. You know what and, I mean? And do you think that the push by Dan Fishman and others to get as much of it online or all of it online was specifically to, to, to try to, yeah. Oh, no doubt. There's no doubt about it. Cause they knew the Mises caucuses is, is largely, largely uh, uh, made up of younger, healthier people. You know, the Prags are largely made up of older gatekeepers who have been in the party for a long time and they're scared to go to Orlando. But Josh, I was told the Mises caucus was made of racists. Oh, yeah, totally racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably why, you know, the, it doesn't affect the white man so much, I guess, or whatever. No, but it just we knew as a, as a caucus that almost everyone in the caucus that was going to be a delegate was going to go. I mean, we were going to go to Orlando. No one was going to stop us from going to Orlando. I busted my ass on that board to make sure that we still had some kind of an in-person convention. It was a, a concession to have a hybrid a hybrid convention. And I think I really do believe in my heart that they still fucked us. I really do. Cause there's no way to really know either way. Like you can have your suspicions, but at the end of the day, like those vote totals, they come from like the state chairs and they're just gathering the total. So who knows how they're counting their online and votes. They, well, they, they came from the state chairs and then the state chairs give them to people who are like, tallying them up somewhere else. And mm -hmm. then they're sending it in. And it was like, the whole thing was just a mess. And I don't think state chairs had a whole lot of chance to, um, to really verify their own audit. Or anything. I mean, they didn't have a chance to audit. So, so, so now there are some people on the board who want the votes audited. I mean, I'm not the only one, even from but this I, past election still. But, correct. Yeah. But I'm, I just, I just never pushed it. I never really wanted to push it. I didn't want to go around yelling, election fraud and be that guy you we know already got I mean? one of those you know yeah i didn't want to be that guy <laughs> but it was like it was pretty i mean you know for it to for it to jump almost 300 votes from all the other motions that had happened over two days was very suspect it's like where were all these people for the rest of the convention you know what i mean where, where were all these people at because we had the room there was no doubt about it we had the room it wasn't it wasn't even close it felt like we were at a rock concert during the convention, during the convention or the chair uh, um, debate, I mean, if it literally, you can watch the videos. You will hear people chanting my name, my 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 uh, campaign slogan. Did you get the Donald Trump? Cycle. We love you, dude. It was crazy. <laughs> it was insane. I felt like a rock star, man. I really did. These people made me feel like a rock star. And and then it was quiet when Joe talked. You know, Jacob Lamont, who had jumped in kind of late and is a, is from the Radical Caucus and is an awesome guy, one of my favorite people in the party. Uh, he got a little bit of an ovation, not not huge. Joe got not much. The online participants got almost nothing except for Luke Wanky from New York, who was obviously there just to be a comedian, and he was getting a lot of laughs. Um, but it was it, the room was shaking. 
Every time, every time they came to me, the room was shaking. It was very obvious we had the, the, the in-person convention. It wasn't even close. Nobody that was in that room can deny that. You know what I mean? But for the whole, it basically what it would have taken for me to lose is almost the entire online part of the, of the convention to not vote for me. Hmm. That's literally what it would have almost taken. And I took states, big states. I took California completely. I think we had 70% of the California delegation. I, I, I was unanimously voted for from Oklahoma. I mean, I started taking states, uh, you know, Connecticut, uh, uh, Maryland. I, st- I started taking states right away and I'm going, how that? Well, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden it was like he won over, with 100 votes in the second, second ballot. I'm going, how the fuck? How does this even work? You know, but I, you know, politics is a dirty game, man. So if it was dirty, it was dirty. It happens. I moved on. And I never really wanted to make a stink about it because I didn't want to be that guy who's like, you know, voter fraud, voter fraud. I didn't want to be that guy. So, sure. Yeah, especially for for this unpaid, uh, thankless <laughs> position exactly. at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, it's funny because like you you think like okay in a in a small party like the Libertarian Party where there's only uh, there's people that are you know obviously if you want to get to the top and you really want to be a super corrupt you know uh, uh, what what have you you really want to make it big in politics you're going to go to the Democrats or Republicans but that's what you think on the surface until you show up at a Libertarian convention and you start to hear all the all the little whispers and you realize like no there is like as much if not more political maneuvering that goes on behind the scenes in this small powerless party what sure. what do you think is behind that like why why is there such weird like like deal like because i that was the thing that shocked me the most when i went to when i finally like went to the libertarian conventions and started to get involved is when i, I realized like how much politicking was going on and i was like man i thought the whole reason we rejected or not the whole reason but part of the reason that we rejected that two-party system is because it wasn't about principles it was all about politics and making deals and this and that and then you come to the libertarian party and you're like wait no the same shit's going on here so what do you think is behind people that are that kind of pull these sort of maneuvers to gain quote unquote power in this party with zero power. Well, it's, it's just the, it's the same old, same old slogan, man. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Right. Uh, it, and it zero power corrupts. Absolutely too, apparently, but it does it doesn't it <laughs> see to them. It is power because it's mm. power inside the party. Right. And so we see this on every level of government too. Right. So there's the federal government where, you know, if, if you look at it now, that's where all the power is these days. Right. But the state, you know, the state governments are the same way. The local governments are the same way. The, the county board, governments, uh, the school boards, the same way. They they yeah. get a little bit of power, and if they feel threatened that they're going to lose that little bit of power, they will do whatever it takes to keep that power. And it's the same way in the Libertarian Party with specific people. I mean, there's a lot of really good Libertarians that understand that it's not just about the power. You know what I mean? It's about the messaging. It's about what we can do with the party, how we can make it more successful, how we can roll back the size and scope of intrusive government in our lives by using this political vehicle. But to them, it's all about the party. That's all they care about. They don't. These people aren't out there fighting every day like a lot of the Mises Caucus people, like really doing every single thing they can to try and make more libertarians. They're more interested in the bylaws and the platform and stupid shit, commas in the in the policy manual. You know what I mean? They're they're more interested in arguing over that than they are over, uh, you know, the fact that the the government just locked us in our homes for the last fifteen months. And so to them, that's their little that's their little power trip. And you know, they they feel like they're a big fish in a very small pond. And if we dilute it and we bring new people and we make it a bigger pond. They become much smaller fish and so they're freaking out about it and so they they feel like their little their little pad of relevance is is uh is fading and so they're they're fighting tooth and nail and they're turning dirty about it they really are i mean we just saw what happened in pennsylvania 
you know, where they, yes, they have the bylaw, they can use the bylaw, but they have literally laxed that bylaw at every single convention for over 30 years. That was the, the one where um, they, they didn't let newer party registrants come in and sure, vote. The hundred, it's the 180 day uh, right. threshold, right? Yeah. So, so the Mises caucus, they've been telling the Mises caucus for a year. There's no way you can cut show up and take this party. There's no way you're never going to get enough people. And the Mises caucus shows up with 300 people. It's like six times the amount of people that are at the convention that aren't, aren't Mises caucus right and they go oh we got a bylaw we, you guys can't vote sorry and it's like you guys have relaxed that bylaw at every single state convention for 30 years we know you're playing dirty we'll see you in nine months you know what i mean that's basically what it comes down to so yeah, and uh, our own uh, john utterman did a great breakdown of that entire convention over on uh, the system is down our buddy dan smots show so oh, def- definitely go check that episode out too hey, there's a there's an ad on my show Every single audio episode of my show has an ad for the system is down. <laughs> Hell of a podcast. I'm, I'm a big fan of dance mods. Well, we, we share a couple sponsors now, actually, too, because I know you're well, you're your partner, really. The guy that does all your artwork and uh, everything is uh, Top Lobster, who do, who's actually sponsoring today's episode. Uh, so we both want to encourage everybody to go check out toplobster.com. Literally, no joke. And I'm saying this at the detriment of our own gear and our own store. The best freaking Liberty gear out there. Like it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's top notch. And if you want any of my gear, he makes all of my gear like this wonderful. Let's see if it'll the break the cycle hat. Oh, there you just came into focus. Yeah. So this is this is actually a custom uh, embroidered logo hat that you can uh, with the old school green bottom that you can order. Um, And then, of course, this camo hoodie for break the cycle. And you can even get yourself this awesome break the cycle pillow (laughs) and have a piece of the couch stream at your house to watch the show with (laughs) the pillow is, is a good touch. All right, guys, I got to take a quick break to let you know about another podcast, another podcast that I host along with my friend Remzo W. Martinez, another great libertarian. And if you like supporting the Lions of Liberty, if you like supporting libertarians in general, you got to check out the Second Print Comics podcast. This is a weekly podcast that Remzo and I absolutely pour our hearts into. Uh, We break down the stories, characters, comic book events that shaped our fanhood. And whether or not you are a comic book fan, I am pretty sure that if you like our style, if you like the cut of our jib, you're going to enjoy this program because it really is for everybody. It's for longtime fans, for lapsed fans, for new fans. If you've just seen some of the MCU movies or some of the Disney Plus shows and you want to learn more about the comic book origins of a lot of these stories and characters or just learn about things you might not have ever thought you were going to learn about because we dive into all sorts of stories from the mainstream to the very obscure. Uh, Again, if you are a comic book fan, you're definitely going to love this. And if you're not, you just might love it as well either way we would really appreciate you taking a time out to check out the second print comics podcast you can find us at secondprintcomics.com or find us on your favorite podcatcher just search second print comics podcast so how did you guys come did you guys kind of partner on the design and look and feel of the break the cycle show because it is really just like that's the first thing before i even heard a single episode or was able to catch one on, on the on the live streams uh that's the first thing that stuck out to me is just like the look and feel of your you know your video open uh the, your uh your like all the artwork for each guest that that he does i mean it's really incredible stuff so who's did you come to him how did that all how did that whole partnership so, come together so this is what happened i actually uh i i i wanted that synth wave look for the show um, and so when I was putting together a show, I had no idea how to put together a live show, dude. Like I had no idea how to program all this shit and do all, you know, I was building a background, obviously that looks pretty cool, you know, in yeah, my basement. I wanted to have my studio in my basement, you know, um, my, one but, of my goals in life is to have a basement. 
So I think I have yeah. to live in Ohio, Idaho to get one, but uh, <laughs> Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. Yeah, I get anywhere, all those places. Anywhere in Tornado Island for, or tor- Tornado Alley. For I got sure. all those five letter Midwest I states mixed up. Sure. So, um, so I, I'm trying to figure this out, but at, at, in, in the meantime, I'm like, man, I need a, I want to have a nice intro done. Um, and I found uh, Acid Dropsy on Twitter. His it's at Acid Dropsy. Um, he's got a band. His name's Alex. He, a- Alex. He's got a band called. Uh, um uh whiskey grenade and he Good had name. this yeah he had this acoustic song that he had played you know in a video uh called wood chipper go burr right or wood chipper and it's literally about throwing pedophiles and wood chippers right <laughs> and so i'm like this is my this is my aesthetic right this is this is who i am i want this uh and so i went to him first and i'm like hey man can i use this song um you know is there a way you can record the acoustic version in a better audio quality with you know not on your phone um and i can use it for my intro on my podcast and I, and I told him you know i i don't have a big following on the podcast but i have a big following in general so the podcast will eventually maybe if i do it well it will become a big co- podcast and he goes absolutely dude but we guess what we're actually recording it as a band right now with live instruments and all that shit i'll like, do just let me know when you're done so he sent me the song and then um the song is actually a two-part song it's wood chipper and uh and um disclaimer which is the the one where it's like he's talking about he only meant wood chipper in minecraft right and so i was like oh that's a perfect outro song so i have the intro outro song and then i'm like well i still want this like video intro and so i went to fiverr dude right you know fiverr i'm sure you know what fiverr is and i found this russian uh guy on fiverr who did this kind of synth wave 80s like vhs cassette type looking um uh uh intros and outros for shows and he worked with him for 24 hours man he came up with my intro i mean that's really what it took 24 hours and so i put that out before I did any shows and top lobster came to me and uh, he, he sent me my lo- the first logo that we were using that, you know, that I'm drawn on has my, my actual likeness on it. And he's like, dude, I, I drew you a logo and I was all bro. Like here, I have an idea for, for my, my feed on YouTube. I want, you know, all of my, um, my uh, uh, thumbnails to, to, to roll together as far as colors go i want them to like slowly go down color spectrums right and be like you know so if you look at my thumbnails unless there's videos that have been changed dates that have been changed like yours we had to change mm-hmm. um it, the top of the video melts into the, the bottom of the next thumbnail and all the way up right and he's like dude i could totally do that i had no idea that he was going to start hand drawing everybody i had no idea Right. So he starts, he starts sending me over the first couple of thumbnails for the, for the, when we were doing the solo show and then the Jacob Hornberger with him eating a burger. I was, all, <laughs> I was all, dude, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Do you want to just work on my show? I don't have anything to pay you at all, but I will put your name on everything. I will stump for your clothing line. And uh, when I do start making money from the show, like actually making enough money where I'm not just breaking even on my life in the show, I'll start paying you. And he's like, dude, sold. Well, now we've just grown into this wonderful partnership where it's like, I don't even take a cut really of his clothing stuff anymore. He's not a, just a sponsor. He is, I mean, he is a partner of Break the Cycle. He really is, you know, and uh, he's amazing. He's he's so much better than I think people even realize. He sent me over all kinds of different stuff. And I'm just like, this guy's amazing. And he hand draws everything. Yeah, that's what's everything. really incredible. I mean, just it's not know. just graphic. You know, it, for me, it was like, oh, I just need a graphic design guy who could put some you know, right. put together a cool thing. He's like, he's like, I'm going to hand draw all this shit. And he hand draws it. He hand draws all of his clothing stuff, all of his logos, everything he's done for any podcast or any shows, all hand drawn. Yeah, I'm so, decked out in his gear too. I got the, the Scott Horton. Oh, the Scott Horton. Shirt. I have, yeah. I have that. 
And then the guys Freedom had. I mean, uh, yeah. we're all top lobstered out here today. So this show is double sponsored by, by toplobster.com. Yeah. So uh, head over and to toplobster. Oh, oh, and I don't know yeah. if you have a, a link yet. I, well, I, we, don't have a, we don't have a link. We do have a discount code. Okay. So you well, then you use discount your discount code. code. Yeah, you, you can use, use discount, discount code ROAR, or maybe if you use that and then maybe you want to place another order, you use Josh's link. So if you, we're happy if he gets the sales either way. You know, that, exactly. that's, that's what matters to us. So. Um, Josh, I want to dig in a little more to what we were just talking about, about corruption in the Libertarian Party. Because one thing we haven't really gotten into much is uh, besides running for chair, you actually served on the LNC for, I think it was, was it four consecutive years? Two, two no, consecutive, so I'm, two? I'm in my, I'm in my second term now and they're two okay. year terms. Gotcha. So, yeah. Right. So what, is there anything you can, obviously you don't, I mean, it's up to you how far you want to go with anything, but um, like, is there anything that has stood out to you that you've seen over the years, whether you want to name names or not, it's totally up to you, but uh, that where you've seen like, other elements of corruption or malfeasance or whatever you might want to say. Well, the, the, the stuff revolving around the convention, the 2020 convention was absolute, just horrendous corruption. There's no doubt about it between, and it was collusion between the executive director and the chairman. I mean, Nicholas Sarwark was, a, is a corrupt piece of shit. I mean, that's pure, plain and simple period. Um, you know, he literally was fighting the Libertarian Party to have a, an online convention, and he was doing it as dirty as he can. He was trying to sway the delegates to votes. I mean, he was just it was bad. Um, so well, let, just to dig into that more, what so what exactly makes it dirty? Like I just because there might be some people that say, well, he's allowed to influence people. He's allowed to you know ask people to vote the way he wants to vote. What where at what point does it go from just trying to influence people to get your way? Just like, you know, you might try to influence people to vote for you. At what point does that go into corruption? Like what what separates those two things? Well, I think uh, there were several letters sent to to the board um, during the time where he was actually threatening to not chair the convention. I think that that was I mean, it's not technically corruption, um, mm-hmm. but it was it was serious threats. And he wasn't just threatening that he was threatening people privately. I'm not going to name those names, um, but he was he was legit telling people he would ruin them. And I mean, it was it was really bad. I mean, it was like, yeah, it was really bad stuff. But I can tell you personally. Uh, just for me that in my first term, uh, he made me the chair of the affiliate support committee. I was stoked. Affiliates were a big thing that I run, ran on. I was like, I'm going to help out every affiliate I can. We're going to do everything we can. And and we were largely uh, one of the most successful affiliate support committees that parties ever had. We put together a really cool contest that won some money for an affiliate, uh, got people out in their communities working at doing actual activism. Uh, we worked on putting together a, an affiliate, a link box so people could click a link and start learning how to build affiliates. We did really good shit. And I had great people like Aaron Adams and John Phillips and Stephen Nicola and uh, uh, David Demarest and um, uh, Richard Longstreth. I mean, really great people on this board. I, I got to handpick them. Uh, and then we're in Reno uh, at the where the 2022 convention is going to be. And he's going around telling the people that were on the affiliate support committee, you should have let Josh fail. I put him there so he could fail. And he said he said this to Aaron Adams in front of Richard Longstreth. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like he was just secretly telling. He was telling this in front of LNC members. So he put you in this position because he believed and hoped that you I would fail. fail at it, not because mm-hmm. he wanted to actually help affiliates. Correct. <laughs> and and I, and, that, and this is me, like this is a verified thing that several people have. One hundred percent. Aaron Adams has been public about it. We've talked about it on her on her show. Uh, Richard Longstreth was standing right there and heard it. He actually said he actually turned to Nick and said, "What the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, why would you do that?" Why would you want somebody to fail that is helping all the affiliates? That's the most important place. 
you know, and, and there's just been so much more things there. There was the whole fight for 75. If you remember that he fought, he fought. I remember it mostly from the memes, but yeah. (laughs) So we needed a fundraising director. We talked about that. And Nick said, I'll do it. Pay me $75 an hour. Then he tried to strong arm arm the board basically and said, Hey, uh, I actually have a PayPal sitting there with $200,000 from donors ready to go. If you guys will pay me $75 an hour. Well, why don't you just give that to the party now then? And then we'll hire you and then we'll give you a commission of whatever you raise because that's how it works. No, I'm not going to do that. So it was like, it was just like one thing after a fucking another. And that was talking to Scott Horton about this last night. These are the things that make me think the guy's a federal agent, right? Like you're going out of your way to hurt the party that you're supposed to be uh, bolstering. The only reason you would do that is if you're sent here to disrupt. You know what I mean? And so, um, or you're just that bitter and vindictive for whatever personal reason, maybe, you know? And he's threatened several people on the board. Like I said, I'm not going to name it. I'm not going to name names, but he's he's a piece of shit, man. I, I have no respect whatsoever for Nicholas Sarwark. Um, and uh, he's carried on that tradition even after not being chair anymore. So it's great that he's not in charge of the party. It's great that he got noted for treasurer in New Hampshire, especially for, for a guy like me that got voted treasurer by going to the bathroom once. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I got voted in treasurer for, for, for an affiliate by just going to the bathroom while they were voting once. I got uh, I got to hear that. What someone nominated you while you're in the bathroom. And yeah, I was in the bathroom just- and then they voted on me real quick and made me the treasurer. It was a local, it was a county affiliate, but still, you know, it's pretty like, funny. Now I got to be in charge of money. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was pretty funny to be elected a, a treasurer of a, of something, uh, while you're in the bathroom and then find out that the guy that beat you for chair got noted. He bought, <laughs> he literally lost to nobody. So that was cool. Uh, but you know, it, it was, it was, I knew, I knew before I got on the board that it was going to be shady, shady dealings. I already knew because I knew that that was a shady person to begin with. It was one of the reasons why I ran for chair. It was one of the reasons why I set out on this mission to change the Overton party in the window and fill it with actual libertarians who want to grow the party and grow the movement and, and start beating some of these Republicans and Democrats. For people out there, like I mean, I think a lot of people that listen to the show are, are like a lot of them are, I'd say a good percentage are probably like fans of the Mises caucus, like a lot of what you guys are doing, but there's certainly people out there that maybe, maybe aren't like, aren't the people that are really your enemies in sure. general, but might be skeptical due to a lot of reasons. Like maybe they just heard things about the Mises caucus or they hear the takeover language and they think, well, I've been working at the party for 10 years here. Like, why should sure. I get taken over? So I, I want to give you the chance maybe just to speak. I mean, you're not running for chair again, but you are a big part of the Mises caucus. Um, so like to address people that like they they are in favor of liberty they they do want to see the party grow they're not trying to sabotage anything but they might be skeptical of of what they see as the Mises caucus sort of takeover approach maybe being too aggressive or what have you but but they're good people so like how would you address those people that aren't your it had to be aggressive i mean it literally needed to be aggressive because there were all these gatekeepers who were like we're you're we're not going to let you in the party basically so it had to be aggressive but i need to talk i need to i'm talking to those people right now directly to you i need you guys to understand that we're not here to kick everyone who was in the party out of the party. That was never the intention of the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. If you are a good libertarian who is not a slanderous asshole, not vile and toxic and keeping this movement small, if you have been out there beating the streets and you have been getting signatures for petitions and you have been working with candidates and you have been working with your local affiliate and all you want to do is see the party grow and become successful, we're here to as re- reinforcements. We're not here to kick you out of the party. Uh, but there are people in this party who have been vile and have been toxic and have been uh, gatekeepers who have tried to keep people like us who are just radical libertarians out of the party for a, a, a decade. I literally 10 years. 
since probably Bad Narek was the presidential candidate in 2004. And, and those people have slandered people like me, my family, my friends, all of the people in the Mises caucus over and over and over again. So when we say we're taking over, we mean we're going to be the dominant force in the party. Not that we want to get rid of you. We want to help you. And so that's that's what it is. When you, when you talk about slander and people talking about you, you are talking you specifically. You're talking about more than just like mean tweets, which you get your fair share of, of course. Yeah. But uh, you know, you you have people actually like really going after your family, like outside of of the public sphere. Can do you want to get into a little bit of that? I mean, we can, so- yeah, we can. You know, it was, and I I talked I talked actually the first show I got to talk about it on was uh, was Dan Smotz's show. Mm-hmm. It was the first time anybody had ever asked me about it truly. Um, yeah, man. I you know I was when I ran for chair in 2017. No one knew who I was. There was no hubbub about me. I was just a normal uh, published, like a, a, a sorry, a, a outlet guy. I was working on Think Liberty. I was a maintenance man. Like I wasn't doing anything crazy. You know, I didn't have any big criminal charges or anything like that. And so, uh, in 2017, when I was running, I was running against Nick, and then uh, Alicia Dern uh, decided that she was going to jump in. And I'm not a huge fan of Alicia Dern after what happened in 2016 with Bill Weld and her conceding and pushing Bill Weld on the delegates. It was it's pretty nasty. The whole uh, libertarian for life. uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I wasn't a big fan, but uh, um, her and her campaign manager at the time, who I wasn't really familiar with, I just knew her from Facebook and stuff, was Angela Fisher Owens. Um, And if you're and fast forward, you know, over four years, if you know who Angela Fisher Owens is, you probably know she's a vile, toxic asshole. And that's good. I'm glad that you know that now. Um, But back then, I didn't. Nobody knew that. And so uh, uh, they came to me and asked me if I wanted to work with Alicia Dern against Nick Sarwark. And I said, no, like I want to run my own campaign. I'm running a clean campaign. I don't need to collude with anybody. I'm building my own team. Like I know I'm lesser known, but I don't care. Right. And so they were a little upset about that, but they went away and didn't say anything. And so I was like, cool. All right. And I kept doing my thing. And then uh, they came back to me and they're like, hey, we want to start a Me Too movement inside of the Libertarian Party. And I said, oh, okay. Well, what are, what are you coming to me for? Well, we want you to help us do that. I said, look, I don't know any rapists in the Libertarian Party. Like, I just don't know any. You know what I mean? Like, personally, I don't I haven't seen anybody like like uh, sexually harassing people or any of that stuff. So I'm not going to be a part of a movement against people that I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. Um, and so they were really upset about that went away. And then two weeks later, I'm at the Texas State Convention. I was traveling. I went to 25 states that year, you know, and I'm at the Texas State Convention and Angela Fisher Owens texts me and goes, hey, some things coming about, out about you and uh, and Ben Farmer from the uh, Adam Kokesh campaign doing something to some woman in Washington. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what? Huh? You know? And I was like, I had, I didn't do anything in Washington. I was like, I, that's my home state. That's where I, that was like my state convention. Everyone there knew me, like everybody, every single person at the Washington state convention knew me. And so she started turning it into this like thing where it was like, at first I said some sexually suggestive remarks to a, a man's wife. And then it was like, oh no, actually Ben Farmer said it, but you were standing there and laughed. And then, um, so I got all, I started saving all these screenshots of these texts. Right. And then all of a sudden. They put out an article on the what is now the Libertarian Vindicator. I don't remember what it was called at the time, or maybe they've changed the name since then. But uh, uh, about me saying that I was a sexual harasser and all this stuff, and I'm going, holy shit! They're trying to start this fucking Me Too campaign against me, right? Like after they came to me and asked me to do it, and the woman's name was Tashina Pascal, uh, the the wife of of Joe Pascal, who I had endorsed for uh, vice chair at the time. This was before Merced was running, and uh, and and at after this supposed event had happened, they had both donated to my campaign to Shina Pascal personally donated like $200 to my chair campaign. Right. Then I'm going, 
this is fucking crazy. So I saved all these screenshots and I start going through and I realized that they're contradicting the things they had already said to Shinna too. Right. And, and then I find out they're all working on the Feldman foundation together, the Pascals, Angela Fisher Owens, Alicia Dern, they're all working there together. Right. And so, uh, I put out my own article and basically just debunked everything they said. And they were pissed, dude. They were fucking mad because essentially it made, a, it made the Alicia Dern campaign look really bad. Um, and then Alicia Dern had to post a public apology on that same publication. Then the Pascals had to make a public apology on that same publication. And Angela Fisher Owens was basically marooned because she was creating all this shit. I mean, she, She's another one I think is probably a paid agent from the outside. You know what I mean? And when you say that, you mean literally, like like when you talk about Nick Sawark as a Fed, you don't mean just like a meme or a joke. So like I, you literally I don't have think I don't have any evidence per se other than the little bullshit that came from the the Straffer uh, dumps yeah. about Nick Sarwark. Um, and I don't have any hard evidence about Angela Fisher Owens either. But I'll tell you that their behaviors could not be any better. That if if they, one were if, a Fed, yeah. this might be how they would behave. This is how you would act. Um, everywhere Angela Fisher go, owns goes, she creates drama and and uh, and and carnage. She fucked the Adam Kokesh campaign. She fucked my she she fucked with my campaign. She's fucked with state a local and state affiliates that don't want her around. When that's all you do, I have nothing else to base who you are off of. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but but anyway, so that all, that made them really fucking mad, and then they started diving into my family history. They started going after my my uh, uh, my uh, uh, family court stuff with my son, my child support. And they started trying. They started contacting ex girlfriends that I hadn't seen in ten years. Like crazy shit, dude. Like like legitimate insane person shit. And again, and start, this is against someone who is just running for chairmanship of like this small right. third third largest party, but still very, very small political party that has no right. Party. Exactly. And so that went on all through the campaign. Um, and then it just it just kept sneeball when I announced again in 2020. I knew what I was in for. I knew it was coming. Uh, but I had so many receipts by that point that it was like it was I didn't care anymore. I was like, you guys are fucking idiots. I don't care anymore. I don't care. I have the receipts that show you're lying. I have the receipts that show what you're saying is bullshit. So I don't even care anymore. Say what you want to say. You know what I mean? Um, and but they started gaining up, gaining everybody they could that hated me around the country, anybody who hated me, and they'd get them in this little click. And now they have this little secret group on Facebook called Joshua Covade Smith, where they oh, make fun of me and, and trash my family and talk shit about me. And these people should not be fucking taken seriously at all. They're not good people. They're giant pieces of shit. I know thousands of people around the country that know the truth about me. And these people are liars. And so, you know, I don't care anymore. I really just don't give a shit anymore. Like, fuck them. I have my family. I have my job. I have my own house. I have everything that I need in my life. I have right here where I'm doing this show from. So fuck them, you know? What what drives people to to go to this kind of length to go after someone? Because when I think about, I don't know, my biggest political enemy is like, I don't know, Dick Cheney or something like yeah. I would never go after his family. And this guy's a warmonger, a criminal, sure. like responsible for maybe millions of deaths. Uh, I like I would never consider thinking like looking into these people's families or anything crazy like that. And yet it's happening here in this small political party. So like what is it? Is it literally like like I talked about this with Shane Hazel, like he thinks there are literally like just chaos agents sent in to 100%. sort of infiltrate the Libertarian Party, make sure they never get anywhere, make sure they just end up kind of flailing about, end up just chasing, you know, chasing nonsense or chasing ballot access and spending all their time not actually producing more libertarians, which sure. is you know what it should And be. I agree. I agree. I mean, I agree with Shane Hazel 100 percent I maybe some people disagree with me. I've talked to some of the old, old, old fart libertarians, like people like D. Frank Robinson, who was around during the founding of the Libertarian Party in the 70s. 
these people will tell you that for every hundred libertarians you meet, one of them is a, a phony. I mean, for real, like legitimately, probably uh, a chaos agent or someone sent from one of the other two parties to watch the local affiliate. I mean, the shit happens. If you don't think it's happening, you're fucking you're not smart. You know what I mean? Like it's it, of course it's happening because if the Libertarian Party ever grows big enough to become a force against the Republicans or the Democrats, they're going to start losing their power. So it's just like the the Sarwak Sarwarkians of the of the Libertarian Party on a bigger scale. They're going to do any kind of dumb shit they can to make sure that we never become prevalent in the United States because then their positions are threatened. And when you make $180,000 a year sitting in Congress doing absolutely fucking nothing for 20 years, you don't have another job to fall back on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Except lobbyist or, or what have you. But <laughs> yeah, not if the libertarians uh, take so over. Yeah, not if the libertarians <laughs> get in there. That's right. Yeah, I, I guess that is the point. If they, if, if anything, maybe they want to try to keep libertarians. Oh, a lot of libertarians probably do enough of a good a job on their own. Oh, yeah, we're pretty good. We're, hey, trust me, we're good. We're very good <laughs> by ourselves at keeping ourselves out of office. But we're 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 probably even we're probably better at getting into office than we think we are. But we have a lot of people who are definitely 100 paid to keep us out of there. There's no doubt. All right, guys, before we wrap up here, I got to let you know about one of our great sponsors, our longtime sponsors at Lauren Zotti, Italy. If you are a fan of coffee, if you like a nice, fresh cup of joe to wake up in the morning as I do, you're going to want to check out our friends at Lauren Zotti, Italy. They deliver fine, premium Italian coffees right to your door in these nice little tins that look so wonderful sitting on your counter there. And if that weren't all enough, these guys are great libertarians. They are Patreon supporters of this show. They are absolutely worthy of your support. If that all wasn't enough, these guys do more than just sell coffee. They also help other entrepreneurs set up their own coffee businesses, help them acquire equipment, acquire financing, everything they need to start their own coffee business, start their own coffee shops. So you definitely want to check them out for that reason, if that's something that's been on your mind. Either way, just fantastic people at Lorenzati, Italy. Amazing people, fantastic people. You'll want to support them if you're fans of the show. Heck, even if you're not, if you're listening to this by accident. Check them out anyway. They have great coffee. Lorenzotti, Italy. You can find them at lorenzotti.coffee. That's L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I dot coffee. And you do not want to forget your Lions of Liberty listener discount. Just use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order. Another thing you mentioned there uh, along the way that I want to dive into you a little bit was your experience with family court. And so can you get into that a little bit uh, as much or little as you're comfortable with? But I'm just kind of curious what that... how you first ended up dealing with that and what that system is like. Cause a lot of people on the outside or maybe even some libertarians might just say, well, of course, like if uh, you know, a father or what have you should be, should have to pay for child support or whatever. And they might just think it's, it's that simple and that, that, you know, that, that transparent. And I might even agree like, yeah, like a, a father should have to pay money or give some kind of support, but that that's not exactly how, how like, you know, black and white family court is. So can you sure. describe like what, what family court is, what actually goes on there that people from the outside might not realize, realize what's going on. Well, I can tell you what happens 75% of the time in family court, uh, a dad and a mom walk in, uh, with a child who needs a dad and a mom and they walk out either with a mother and a father who is considered a visitor in the eyes of the court or a father who is considered a criminal in the eyes of the court. That's typically what happens in the family law system. Um, they are incentivized to make one person the financial uh, uh, contributor and the other person the um, uh, uh, custodial parent, right? 
So and is that the case even even if the parents go in kind of um you know um in in a in a cooperative way correct yeah I mean the the I think most of the states I don't know if they're all this way uh, require um some kind of child support even if it's a small amount like here in Iowa it's forty dollar minimum a month right um it's required it's required for custody cases um because they get a portion of that through the state. Mm. Um, and so Wait, the state gets a, a portion of the child support. Yeah. Title. Fuck. I'm not, I'm not. I don't know why I'm so shocked by this, but I've never heard that before. Yeah. So, that, so, so the, so it's required and, and, and they'll tell you it's required to take care of the child, but it's required because the state gets kickbacks from child support. So you can imagine the millions of child support cases around the country, uh, is bringing in billions of dollars every year for, for states. Um, and Oregon's one of the worst where my initial, my first well, my first real custody uh, case took place for my son, who is the only child that I have that doesn't live with me now, uh, my middle son, unfortunately. Um, but my first experience with the with the family law court was my my marriage. I was married when I was 19 years old in the military. Uh, we had a, a daughter who I have custody of now at, at 16. Um, and uh, I lived, I had, we had to split up. I moved to California, back to California. My daughter lived in Arkansas. We were flying back and forth. Everything was fine. And my, uh, my ex-wife got remarried and changed her last name and changed her phone number and, uh, moved and I couldn't find him for a long time. And, uh, and so that was really hard, but I was calling the family law courts because we had got an official divorce, uh, but there was no custody agreement really. You know, probably a small amount of child support or something that that has never been took off. She just took off, right? And so uh, I was calling the family courts, and they wouldn't do anything for me. Nothing because there was no custody agreement. They would do nothing, even though I'm on the birth certificate and the 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 child's you know registered legal father. They would do nothing for me. Five years of that went by. Five years, and that was used against me in my chair campaign too. As as uh, I walked away, I disappeared. Thing not true. Not even fucking close to true. The opposite. The opposite of true. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And so, um, uh, that was my first taste of family laws. They wouldn't even help me as a father find my daughter. Okay. And then uh, when I had my second kid, unplanned, you know, whatever. That's fine. I'll take care of it. Um, there were some things that that truly worried me about my son's situation at the time. Uh, and so when I went into the court, uh, so first of all, I went to go file for, for, uh, custody. She hadn't put me on the birth certificate, so they wouldn't let me file for custody. I had to go down and file for paternity first. I filed for paternity. Uh, they eventually had to uh, threaten her with a subpoena to bring him down and get him swabbed because she wouldn't bring him in. It took three months when she did finally bring him in, they swabbed him. Paternity went through. I went up to file for custody and there was a protective order against me. Right. So she be right before I could go file for custody. She went and filed a protective order. So I had Based to go fight. On, the, uh, she said I was can, a violent, a violent, say we, anything. we dated for two weeks. She said I was violent. I, I don't, two weeks, literally two. We dated for two weeks. And, uh, and so I had to go and fight the, um, the custody, the, the, uh, uh protective order first. So we go into the hearing for that. It, uh, God, I tell this story to a lot of people. I've never told it like on a live show before, but we walk in and I'm, I'm freaking out. Cause I've never had to deal with this shit before. You know, I'm not like a criminal. I've never beat anybody. Like, you know what I mean? Sure. And, and she walks in in like a, a Hillary Clinton, like three piece <laughs> suit, right. With a, an accordion folder. And I'm going, what the fuck did she have in there? We dated for two weeks. Like I, we hung out three times. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so the, the, the judge is like, all right, you know, miss 
redacted. Uh, we're going to need you to uh, uh, prove with, without a doubt when Mr. Smith puts you in danger of grievous bodily harm or injury or whatever. And so she starts ruffling through this folder. Going, what, the, what the fuck is going on here? Right? Like, what is this? And she pulls out a paper and she snaps it. Right. And I was like, this is not happening right now. And she's like, she's like, uh, well, on this day at this time, Mr. Smith threw a tortilla at me. <laughs> no, that, that don't tell me that's what it's. I'm like, I'm like, try. I haven't even said anything other than <laughs> being sworn to find in, right? these, the exact piece Legitimately, of paper. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I came over after the bar one night, right? I was 21 or, or I was 20. Uh, let's see. What was I 28 or something? I just moved to Oregon. I didn't know anybody like we had met on. We had met on plenty of fish, you know, and uh, we went out and hung out at, at a club one night. And that and then I came over like two more times. And one time was after I, I was working at the bar and stuff. And um, and we were making quesadillas. Right. And we were like laughing and I like threw a little piece of a quesadilla at her. She was laughing. We were laughing. It was cute. I thought it was cute. And now <laughs> it's a year later and she's literally using it against me in court as the basis to keep you from your child, to keep me from my child. And so the, the judge, uh, her name was judge Kirshner at the time, little, little tiny, awesome Jewish lady, but she ended up dragging me through the mud too, but I'll, t- I'll talk more about that. So, so she goes, no, no. Listen, misredacted. I need you to tell me when he puts you in danger for your life or <laughs> bodily bo- bo- injury. Not when he threw a tortilla at you, right? And she's like, so she starts rifling through this thing again. And I'm going, what can she have in there? And she pulls it out, right? And she snaps the paper again. And she's like, on this day at this time, he texted me. And I quote, I guess I'll have to go about this a different way and puts it back in the folder, right? And I'm going in my head, I'm like, yeah, dude, like I, because I was telling you I wanted to see my son and you were telling me I couldn't. And so I meant I was going to take you to court. Right. what we're doing right now <laughs> you know and uh and so she puts it away and then and then uh the judges at this point like she's got her head in her hand she's like no miss redacted let me tell you i need you to tell me when he puts you in in danger actual physical danger and she goes well that's all i got <laughs> and the court, so you're wasting the judge, her time man. and the judge is like i'm gonna throw this this protective order out you guys have a good day and all i said was thank you your honor and walked out that was all i said the whole time we were in court i didn't even have to like defend myself mm-hmm. but it was like that is what is allowed to happen. You get a protective order on a man who's trying to file for custody of his own child because you can get all- that original protective order without providing any evidence. You just it's say true. something. Yeah. Like, and then there's a hearing you, you can say, and, and if, and if I hadn't had, if I hadn't had contested it and gone to the hearing, it would have stuck for two years. I wouldn't have even been able to file for custody and yeah. they would have been taking child support for me. And I wouldn't be able to see my son and all that stuff. So, so as soon as that happens, we go, we run upstairs. We're like basically racing to the family court office to try and file for custody because now we can file for custody because this is handled. It's thrown out. And she beats me by like three people in line and files for custody for full custody. So I, I refile for full custody. Cause I'm like, I, there were, like I said, there was things in Mrs. Redacted's life that that worried me very badly and so i was a i was a scared father at the time probably not the best way to go into court let me tell you guys if you're going into court don't do that it's always going to look bad on you uh it's super emotional good, or, or what very you. emotional right. i was uh trying to raise money for a court because at the time i was working a very low-paying job i was trying to get into school i was doing i didn't have a lot so i was trying to raise money to to fight for this my son because i was worried about it and blah and, and it just made me look really bad but the court dragged me through the mud. I just told you I was making a low-paying job, uh, but I was bartending in the evenings too, right? So I had two jobs. Well, when we went through the child support proceedings, they, they added up all my 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 uh, income, and then speculated speculated about how much I made from tips in the bar. 
which they speculated way higher than what I was getting at the time. And so they, the initial child support proceedings went through twelve hundred one one hundred or sorry one thousand two hundred and sixty nine dollars a month. Wow. I was making nine hundred and forty seven dollars after taxes every two weeks from my day job. Lost my bartending job. And they were garnishing half of what I was making every month because, oh, and this is another thing. She always says, well, the state has to take money from you. State of Oregon auto garnishes all child support cases, all, every single one. If you have a job, they are auto garnishing you. That's how it works. And uh, so they're auto garnishing $947 every month. It's not covering what I owe every month. And I'm, and I'm trying to live off of less than $1,000 while I'm in college for nursing. Wow. Okay. And so um, I went to the court and I said, Hey, there's, I can't do this. You guys are holding me to a double job standard. I cannot survive on a thousand dollars a month. I'm basically living in my car. I'm studying for finals and nursing school under streetlights and shit. Like I can't keep doing this. Like I cannot keep doing this. And they're like, sorry, Mr. Smith, you have another year until you can renegotiate. Child and that support. same figure is still based on having that bartending job and getting these Correct. tips that you definitely didn't get. So they held me to a double job standard for two years speculated about how much I was making from tips with no proof whatsoever, other than I came in and told them what I made. And they held me to that for two years. It ruined my fucking life completely. And then, uh, so she decided, okay, well, I, I showed up one late to day, like five minutes late to pick him up. And she was driving out of the parking lot. Mrs. Redacted, just not a very nice person. And she was driving out of, out of the parking lot at five minutes late. Okay. And I'm texting her. I'm going, hey, what's going on? Like, I, I'm here to pick, you know, pick up my son. What, what can I do? And she's like, sorry, you'll have to come back next week. So I show up next week. He's not there. She's not letting me see him anymore. There's a court order parenting plan, right? We, I went through all this shit so that I could see my son. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not paying you any more child support. I'm in school right now. I'll go work part time until you let me see my son. Because that's her right. end of the agreement. So right within a month, they slapped me with a contempt order within a month. Okay. So I had to continue to pay for six months or they wouldn't drop that charge. Meanwhile, she's not letting me see my son. Right. And there's nothing that had like, so there's this enforcement arm that definitely right. holds you to the fire for having to pay. But is there no, nothing that I holds filed the mother to the, to I the filed fire. twice for contempt for them because she was not, she was in contempt of the court order. They did nothing. I, you know, and then I finally ended up moving and it was like, well, I can't do shit now. You know what I mean? What am I supposed to do? And so that's the, the court has been, weaponized against fathers always first fathers i'm not saying no mothers go through this there's definitely mothers that go through this it's sure. it's the exception not the rule right they know that they can take money from the father almost always and that they can make the mother custodial parent and that if the father doesn't pay they can make you a criminal a criminal if you can't pay it's not even about if you don't pay it's about if you can't pay right. if you hit a certain amount of over uh, of, of arrears because you weren't making enough to cover what you're uh, what you're owing every month, they will put you in jail. They'll take your driver's license. They'll take your work licenses. It's like, how does that even make sense? We're gonna take your. We're gonna take your. You're a barber, right? We're gonna take your barber's license because you're not paying your job support. Well, how am I gonna pay now? It really well, seems like from what you described that the system is is geared towards taking fathers away from their kids as much as possible or making it as hard as possible for the father to actually Shocking, be involved. Right? It's almost like the drug war. Hmm, yeah. I wonder. Mm. I wonder why the it's government It's almost like there's an actual purpose behind this. Yeah, I wonder why the government doesn't want fathers in homes. Maybe it's because they know that single moms are more dependent on the government and they can continue to take money from the rich and, give and them society the will and give probably them be more favorable towards the mother just on its base just 
because of our sort of well, biases it's that culture. Way. It's culture. And it's a culture that's been bred by the family law system. I mean, it really is. It 100% is, you know, it, women get to, a lot of women get to run around and call dads who don't get to see their kids every day, deadbeat dads all the time, you know, and it makes, it, you want to be more sympathetic to a single mother. I mean, it's, it's how it works, right? My mom never called my dad. My dad didn't do shit. I never, I met my dad once. My mom never called him a deadbeat. Never. She just did what she had to do to raise us and make sure we were, were healthy and happy and had food and a home. But you know, the, there is a lot of very corrupt shit going on that has been bred from a culture of family law. I mean, it's just how it is. So, yeah, well, I think it'd be hard for anyone. Well, although I still see people tweet things at you, so it's, I guess it's not that hard for some people, but for people to call you a deadbeat dad, especially right now, sure. uh, with the family that you have now, uh, in the, in the past like year or so that, that has come together for you, you've taken custody of, uh, I think you've gotten your own daughter's custody as well as ad- adopted several other children. I think some for foster children just want to maybe briefly kind of go over that process and how that, how are you able to do that? So favorable, how, how were you able to get that custody uh, of these kids? So here, so here, we're going to go in, we're going to go into some, some special shit here. So, uh, one year, a little over a year ago, the beginning of March of 2020, I was a single, single guy living with my best friend in a home in California, three bedroom track house in California. Uh, we cleaned up on Fridays before parties, you know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, in one year now I'm, I have a fiance and seven children in the house. Um, but the, the, the way that works makes my is, life changes look like nothing. All I got is a <laughs> wife right. and a stepson. Like, yeah. Uh, so, so what happened was, uh, I, I moved to Iowa late March um, of last year to be with my fiance, who already had two small daughters, an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, um, wonderful girls. We, she got pregnant in April with our son. Um, and then in October, I got a call. Uh, you know, I, I had been trying for 10 years to get custody of my daughter. I called every court I could in, in the area. You know, it, was, it, was, it was a sad process, and she had been going through some stuff. Um, and it was, it made me feel really bad because it should have been a lot easier for me to get her a long time ago. Um, and so, uh, in October, I got a phone call that, um, my ex-wife was, uh, incarcerated and that I had an opportunity to go pick up my daughter, but she also had two siblings, smaller siblings. Uh, my daughter's 16. She had two smaller siblings that are, um, nine and almost seven. And uh, we had the opportunity to get guardianship of them, not custody. Um, we're working on the adoption side of that. Uh, so we drove down to Arkansas to pick them up, um, which was great. My, my fiance is uh, uh, just an absolute saint, an angel of a person. I told her, uh, you know, I have an opportunity to go get my 16-year-old daughter. My, my fiance is almost 10 years younger than me. She's 28. I'm th- she's 28. I'm 38, right? So um, she'll be 29 in like a month. But uh, uh, and, and so I said, I got an opportunity to go pick up my 16 year old daughter. And she goes, when do we leave? You know, without missing a beat. No, said, like, how are we going to make this work nope. or like nothing? And we were like living that, in just... a two, we were living in a two bedroom apartment at the time. Right. <laughs> we already have two kids, a kid on the way and we're going to pick up a fourth. Right. And then I said, but here's the thing. Uh, we here's also have the, uh, we also have the opportunity to get uh, a guardianship of her younger brother and sister that aren't mine biologically, but you know, keep them from going to foster care or wherever else they might end up. That is not good. Um, and and uh, without missing a beat again, she said, great, when do we leave? You know, and so uh, that made five in the house. And then we had our son, um, December 31st, New Year's Eve, my son was born. And then uh, when we were on the way down in October to pick up my daughter, we found out that she was pregnant, my 16-year-old daughter. And so my granddaughter was born March 14th, the day after my birthday. And uh, It's like a and, sitcom set up here, man. Yeah, <laughs> 80, an 80 sitcom yeah. here. 
And so, so now we have seven in the house, uh, from 16 to three months, basically three and a half months. And, uh, and my granddaughter, you know, we have two infants, basically one's five months old, one's three and a half months old, pretty wild, man, pretty wild. That's some life changes right there. Yeah. It's, it's definitely crazy. And, uh, yeah. So anybody out there calling me a Debbie bad can kiss my entire ass and, uh, you're I didn't see people, see people criticize you like they'll ask for your you know like oh let, let's see your child support and you'll post screenshots and then yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll say they say oh you're working 50 hours of overtime what kind of dad are you away from your kids like you, you can't yeah, win with these yeah you can't win with these people and it's <laughs> and it's hilarious you know so so i'm legitimately working on raising seven kids in my home and i still have my son who does not live in my home who i'll take tomorrow if if i have the opportunity mm-hmm. um and that i am paying 680 dollars a month in child support for on top of the seven kids that i'm raising in my home so uh, you know, people can say whatever the fuck they want, but it doesn't mean they're smart. Probably they're idiots. So it's a lot of responsibility, my man. So certainly a, a lot of changes since we first had that meeting, uh, in new Orleans, uh, at random, which you can hear all about by checking out my edition, bring it full circle, my episode of break the cycle. Again, that was a uh, episode 30, but check him all out. He's got amazing interviews with so many people in the Liberty TV movement. I think like you mentioned, you just had Scott Horton on again. For the um, second time, so yeah. Yeah, so feel free to plug away on everything you got going on with Break the Cycle. Feel free to plug every uh, how people are can best find the show. I know uh, I think the best way to watch to see the, the see the live streams, you know, see see that thing. Yeah, it's it's the live's cool because we have a really cool chat community of people. I mean, we'll get you know fifty to hundred people in the chat that are just going off having a good time, and you can actually join. You can become a member of the channel now. The channel's monetized, and you get like you know cool badges for being a member, and you get like special emojis that are hand drawn by Top Lobster. Of course, of course. Uh, the the cool badge that you get's the same thing that's on this pillow here. It's the uh, see if you can see it. The BTC. It's the BTC logo. If you don't, if you haven't noticed, not uh, a coincidence. Cycle, I imagine. Yeah, not a coincidence. Break <laughs> the cycle. BTC. Bitcoin. I'm a big crypto uh, advocate. So, um, but yeah, you can join the channel there, uh, and and so definitely it's uh, YouTube.com backslash Fight the Despots. I'm also on Odyssey. Eventually, I'd like to take all of my YouTube followers over to Odyssey. Uh, yeah, that, I think that's, that's our plan too, because we're yeah. only on YouTube because people are there. But we'd like to bring you all over to our Odyssey channel. So follow right. myself, so follow Lions Liberty, and break the cycle on Odyssey. Help us do. Yeah, that. it's definitely one of those things, man. Like uh, I, I love Odyssey. I think it's going to be great. But we we need the viewership now. So yeah. if you guys can start li- uh, following the the Odyssey as well, that would be great. But definitely follow the YouTube because that's also where the monetization is at. Right. Um, and for some so, of us, we were demonetized a few years ago. We're still working. Were you on guys that. really demonetized? Yep. Holy shit! I have, I haven't, I haven't run into that yet. Any, not the any... platform. They're fine to let us talk at least still, but um, yeah. but they won't let us make money. Well, not even with super chats or anything, huh? Mm-mm. That sucks, dude. Complete yeah. demonetization. We're working on trying to get it. The problem is there's no like, there's no Process. customer support. Like it doesn't right. exist. So if you run into a snag, which we have, there's nothing you can do. There's no, right. there's no email. There's no phone number. There's no nothing. So I've actually been like talking to friends in LA who know people that work at YouTube to try to actually get to a person. So we're hoping to f- figure something out, but sure, we're, not, sure. we're not banking on it. But yeah, definitely check out the show on YouTube. The, the live shows are fun, but you can also find the uh, audio on all the podcast catcher apps. And we're actually, uh, the show's been around a little over two months and we're, we're averaging 1600 listens a week now, which is kind of cool. Correct. So, um, and then uh, follow me on Twitter at Joshua at large, man. Cause that's, that's where my war with the blue checks are for sure. But we're <laughs> we're on all the platforms, man. Uh, break the cycle on Facebook. Break the cycle on Instagram. Uh, Joshua from Break the Cycle on 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 Twitter, of course. Um, follow everything. My girlfriend, uh, my fiance, sorry, my fiance runs the uh, the Instagram and the and the Facebook. So if you message me there, uh, she sends me a screenshot and asks me what she wants me to say, what she wants, what I want her to say. So. <laughs> 
All right, Josh. Well, it's been awesome catching up with you and awesome about, you know, I, I knew some of the surface level of this stuff, but uh, it was really interesting to, to find out some of the details, both both the good and the bad uh, behind sure. a lot of what's been going on behind the scenes there. So I wish you the best of luck, man, with everything you got going on and definitely check out check out Break the Cycle. It's one of the m- most fun shows. It's, uh, like I said, I got really personal. We got a lot of my personal life on that show. Uh, so de- definitely check out my interview there and, and all the other great interviews on Break the Cycle. So keep up the great work, man. I don't I know I don't need to tell you this, but please do keep on roaring, Josh. Absolutely, sir. Thank you. All right, kitty cats. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joshua Smith as much as I did. Really enjoyed catching up with him. And I know I mentioned it a couple times during the interview, but now that he's not here, you can believe me that I wasn't just saying it to make him happy. I truly, truly do enjoy his show, Break the Cycle, and really, really like the interview I did with him. Uh, so really do check that out. He does a lot of different kind of style of interviews than you might hear on your typical libertarian podcast, as I hope I do as well every single Monday on this, the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, I have other lions. I have other cohorts here. We've got Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday with his weekly shot of hilarity, comedy, culture, liberty, mispronunciations, anger, everything you love over on Electric Liberty Land every single Wednesday, while John Odermatt wraps things up on Thursdays with his Finding Freedom, the adventure that has replaced Felony Friday, now uh, taking a little more of a positive spin on things, still featuring a lot of the same stories of the criminal justice system, but getting into some new areas as well. Really, the title says it all. He does stories about people finding freedom and helping those find freedom out there. So a full slate, a full Liberty lineup here on the greatest Liberty variety show on earth, Lions of Liberty, each and every week. All you got to do hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, perhaps give us a five-star rating and a great review, especially on Apple Podcasts. That still is the number one way to help us get in front of more people, boost us in those algorithms. Doesn't cost you a dime, cost you all of maybe two minutes. Of course, if you want to toss us a dime or two, you can do so over on our Patreon, over at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, where you get to not just support the show, you also get discounts at our store, of course, that is at lionsofliberty.store, as well as tons of bonus audio and video content. You get live streams of many of my interviews like you did with this one. Uh, we also have Conspiracy Corner. We have Degenerate Gamblers. We have Brian McWilliams Daily Show. Good morning, fuckhead. We have so much fun in the pride for as little as $5 a month. Check it all out at patreon.com slash lionsliberty. That's all I've got until next week, my friends. And until then, live long and live free.